Good morning. Today I'll be reading Matthew 6, verses 33 through 34. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry, worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble on its own. Thank you so much, Camden, for that reading. Um, yeah, so we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6 this morning. So if you have your Bibles, turn there to Matthew chapter 6. We're continuing to make our way through the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus just keeps saying things that make uh, our lives a little bit more difficult. Uh, he, he doesn't always take it easy on us in this sermon, uh, although it's a remarkable thing. He'll say things that, it, on the one hand, it seems like that's impossible. That would be so hard to do. That would, be, that, would, that would destroy my life if I were to try to actually do that. But I'm convinced that if we actually do what he said— it would probably give us more peace than we ever thought possible. Uh, it would simplify our lives more than we believe uh, is, is, even, uh, is even imaginable. And I think that's especially true here at the end of chapter 6. At the end of chapter 6, Jesus is going to be talking about what it is that we spend our lives searching for. What are we seeking? What are we trying to find? What do we crave? And if you look at the world, uh, there's a lot of answers I think people can give, but I know one of them that's right at the top of a lot of people's list. It's a very common one. It's one that I think we've all probably found ourselves seeking or craving or desiring more than we have, and that is wealth and money. Wealth and money can be a source of, of peace, it seems like. You know, there are so many times that you're stressed that your car is breaking down and you're stressed about uh, inflation and you're stressed about uh, paying the mortgage and all of these different things. Do you think all of this stress would just go away if I just had more money? And, and we think it, like so many things in life would be more peaceful if I just had, just, just mathematically, if I just had more money than I have right now, it would solve this problem. And we, we tend to think that it's as simple as math. If I just have more money, then my problems go away. But it doesn't take too long to look around the world and realize there are people with more money than you who don't have more peace than you. There are people with more money than you who are struggling and suffering just like you are in a lot of ways. There are people who have, like, seemingly everything. They have money, they have power, they have prestige, and they're miserable. And Jesus has, has honed in on that. And I think among his disciples, he wants us to chart a different path. He wants us to see a different way forward because really money is not a guaranteed path to peace. He's going to give us a lot of ways in which the desire for wealth and the, the desire for excess and the storing up of, of more than we actually need each day, over time, that could end up robbing us of the very peace that we think we, we have found. And then in order to, to, to get that peace, we have to chase more money again. And then once you get that, you end up satisfied with that. And you have to chase more again. And it becomes a never-ending cycle that could end up robbing you of what actually does matter most. There are people who have spent so much time after wealth that they've neglected their families in the process. There are people who have spent so much time seeking, uh, searching for wealth that they forgot to actually enjoy what they had. They, they were always looking for what they could get There's more, and they forgot to sit down and just enjoy what they have right now. There are people who have spent their lives searching for wealth, and they've actually destroyed their very own souls in the process. Like, it's something that we think on one hand, when, when the end of the month is coming and the bills are due, ah, this would give me peace. 
But there are so many counterexamples that once you have more than you thought you needed, you end up needing more than you thought you, you would. And it just ends up becoming a vicious cycle. And so one of the things that Jesus calls us to do is find a different thing to seek. Find a different thing to crave. Find a different thing to strive for. Because wealth is not going to live up to its expectations. Look with me at Matthew chapter 6 and verses 19 through, uh, through well, we're going to finish the rest of the chapter. Um, We'll kind of take it a little bit by little. But he says some interesting things about what wealth can do. And all of these are the types of things that can end up causing more anxiety and worry than that you would have had if you didn't have the wealth. So like in verse 19, he says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Okay, so a couple, that's a powerful couple of verses right there. But one of the ideas that he mentions there is where's the safest place to put your treasure? Because anytime you start building treasure on earth, that treasure is at risk. Anytime you start building wealth, there's the risk of losing that wealth. Well, no matter how steady you think the market is or the housing market or whatever, there's risk involved. And so often people who thought that they were so secure have ended up in much, dan- much more dangerous places than they thought possible. There are people who, as soon as you accumulate wealth, he mentions thieves. There are people who want that wealth. And now you're a target when you didn't used to be a target. And now uh, the things that used to, I mean, you, you never would have cared about one way or the other about the market or something like that. Now that you have some wealth, it's like a daily concern. You think, I have to stop thinking about this because it's, it's weighing on my mind every day. And all of a sudden, like, the more you have, the more you have to lose. And the more you have to lose, the more concerned you are. The more you have, the more you become a target. And so the more fear you have and the more distrust you have. And all of those things, they might, you might have wealth, but all of a sudden on the inside, it starts filling you with turmoil, with anxiety, with suspicion. And all of these things can come as a result of trying to store up more and more and more. And what that ends up doing is it changes the way you view the whole world. He mentions right there in verse 21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Uh, you know, we, we might think of that sometimes in the reverse, that if I truly love this, I'll put my treasure to that. But Jesus says, actually, what tends to happen is wherever your treasure starts being stored up, your heart follows your treasure. Your treasure doesn't always follow your heart. In fact, if your treasure is in a different place than your heart, rather than your treasure changing to match your heart, what will often happen is your heart will change to wherever your treasure is. So if you're, if you're storing treasure on earth, your heart, even if it starts off as purely seeking God, your heart ends up focused a little bit more on that treasure each and every day to where at the end you find out that that's what you care about now more than anything else. And again, that changes the way that you see the world. Jesus, in verses 22 and 23, gives kind of a a strange parable. Um, It's difficult, at least. Maybe maybe that's a better word than strange. Um, I think we we can understand it if we think about what he's saying here regarding wealth. But if you look at, like, verses 19 through 21, remember, he's talking about wealth. Store your wealth uh, on on, uh, earth, or in heaven rather than on earth. And then when you get to verse 24... He talks about two different masters. You can either serve wealth or you can serve God. Uh, you can't serve both of them. So this whole conversation is about wealth. And I think when you get to verse 22 and 23, that's what this parable is about also. 
Only it becomes a parable of the way that you see the world when your heart is fixated on wealth rather than God. Uh, Verse 22 and 23 say this. The eye is the lamp of the body. There, uh, so then, if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. All right, so I, I think it is something kind of like this. Imagine a lantern. You're out camping. You're holding the lantern. You're walking around. That lantern, if it's bright and clear, it gives you a path that you can see, right? You can see because of it. Uh, I actually have, um, I have some lanterns, uh, small ones I got for the boys. And one of them, the battery started to die on it. And so the light on it, no matter how, try you, how like, much you tried to turn it on, it was very dim. You couldn't hardly see out of it at all. The other one, the battery was still working well. You could see pretty clearly with it. Um, one of them, if you're walking around, you're still in darkness. The other one, you actually have some light. Well, if you imagine that that lamp is your eye, then what is your body being filled with if you have a nice, bright, clear lantern? filled with light. It's filled with good stuff. What happens if it gets dark and grimy and, and, uh, and, and, and dirty on the outside? Then all of a sudden, no light is getting through. And even though your eye is a lamp, you're just full of darkness. He says in verse 23 at the end, if then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Here's what I think he's getting at. The way that you turn your lantern into darkness the way that you fill it up with dirt and with grime where the light can't break through is if you constantly spend your time looking at wealth, searching for wealth, seeking wealth. And that's the only thing your eye finds that's actually darkening the lamp and it's darkening your insides. What that does is it'll make your heart on the inside only want wealth. Whatever you're looking at is what's going in you and that's what's filling up your body. So if you're staring at wealth, then the desire for wealth becomes the desire of your heart. If you're staring at lust, then the desire for lust becomes the desire of your heart. If you're staring at power, that's what fills you. Like whatever it is that you find yourself using your eye to search for, to desire, to crave, that's what will fill up your inside. And as that happens, your insides will end up matching whatever your eye keeps looking at. And so what should your eye be looking at? Well, we keep reading and we'll find out when he says, seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness. Like that's how you'll fill your life with the things that are uh, essential for the good life. But right here, if you keep using your eye to look at the things that produce darkness, the darkness is going to get greater and greater and greater. And oh, how great is that darkness? Verse 24, here's why. Because... No man can serve two masters fully. He says in verse 24, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Notice how strong that language is there at the end. You cannot serve God and wealth. What ends up happening is where your heart is where your eye is looking, what the desires you crave, where those are found, that's what you end up serving. And if that's wealth, then you have pulled yourself away from God. It's idolatry is what it is. I mean, that, that, that's what so often happens is you now are serving one thing instead of the other. Remember what Jesus said to Satan there in the, in the, the wilderness? He says, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. What happens when you find yourself serving that next paycheck, serving a little bit more, serving the excess, serving the the bigger barn than you have now? 
you end up finding yourself serving God less and less and less. Before we move on, I want to go back to one phrase. I want you to keep it in your heads as we make our way through the second half of this passage. It's way back in verse, nine, uh, verse 20, where he says, Instead of storing your treasure on earth, store up for yourselves treasure in heaven. The idea there is that on earth you become a target of thieves and there's moth and there's rust and the things that were once so precious for you begin to lose that pristine beauty and that value that they had. And that fills you with worry and stress because the thing you care about so much is is starting to leave. But if you store your treasure in heaven, there's no moths up there. There's no rust up there. Thieves aren't stealing. It's the safest place you could store it. Now, if you're anything like me, you would read that and think, okay, great. I don't know how to do that. Uh, How do I get treasure in heaven? And sometimes we want to to spiritualize this passage very much. Say, well, maybe you get like the treasure of love in heaven by uh, by, like, you know, loving God or something like that. And I think that that's great. But I think there might actually be an even more... um, uh, literal and a more uh, practical way to go about storing treasure in heaven that we'll talk about here in just a minute. But keep in mind that if you seek wealth, if you desire wealth, if you search for wealth, then your whole devotion is going to be about wealth. And all of a sudden, you'll find yourself no longer devoted to God. But if you put your treasure in heaven where God is, your heart will follow after it. What happens when you seek wealth? Well, one thing it could rot. And that would fill you with anxiety and stress and worry and concern. Another thing is it could end up turning your whole outlook on life into a desire for wealth, which can in turn make you no longer serving God, but serving wealth and idolatry instead. And all of those things are the types of things that over time turn you into a person who is concerned, anxious, and worried about the things of this world constantly. So in verse 25... Jesus then moves the discussion to talk about that worry that comes from craving possessions so much. He says, For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on it. Is not life more than food? And is not your body more than clothing? It's an important question to ask ourselves sometimes. Is not life more than the food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow, nor do they uh, reap, nor are gathered into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? Uh, And who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? So Jesus does a couple of things here that I think are very practical, beneficial for us to to follow. Um, He tells us not to worry, and then one way that he tells us not to worry is just look at the world around you. Sometimes that's the best thing you can do when you find yourself overly concerned or anxious. Spend a minute outside and look at creation and look at the God who made this creation and look at the birds that are flying through the air and look at the trees and look at the grass and look at the flowers. And as you do so, ask yourself the question, if God cares this much to make the creation around me, full of life and noise and beauty and and movement and all of these things, does he not care about me also? So you can do that, and I think that could be an encouraging thing to do from time to time. However, if you're cynical, and sometimes sometimes I am more than I'd like to be, I can say, okay, that's great, but I also know that birds sometimes get eaten. 
And I also know that uh, sometimes, you know, I, I actually found a dead bird in my yard just, just the other day. And, uh, and, like, that happens too. So did God care about that bird? Does he, does he care about me more than the, the bird that didn't quite make it? And you can look and you can think, well, yeah, but even looking at creation doesn't solve my problem because there's still the problem of the fact that there's going to be hardships in life. And I don't, and I think that's exactly right. I don't think Jesus is saying, look at them. They never face anything difficult or hard, so you won't either. I don't think that's the right way to, the right message to take from this. But I do think Jesus is saying, you can see, based on the fact that God created a world, that he created beauty, that he created birds that live, and that he created uh, grass and flowers, that God does actually care about beauty. He's made this world better than it could be. And he actually, by creating you, has shown that he cares enough to have you in it. In fact, he loves you more than he loves those birds, and he loves you more than he loves those flowers, and that is not a guarantee that you will never have hardship. It's not a guarantee that everything in your life will always be easy. It's not a guarantee that that you won't have predators around, but it is a guarantee that your God loves you, and if you're going to focus on something, focus on that. If you're going to spend your life searching for something, if you're going to spend your life basking in something, don't bask in the radiance of wealth. That might be here today and gone tomorrow. That might just make thieves come in and steal from you. That might turn your whole outlook on life into one that, uh, that is, is focused on self and focused on, on, on concern. So you always need more and more. Instead, bask in the love of God and in the provision that he has for you. Sometimes just take in the moment. And remember that right, I mean, the book of Ecclesiastes is tells you to do this quite a bit. There's so many things that don't go the way you plan in life. But right now, look around you. You're surrounded by a community of people who are here to worship the one true God. You have clothes on. You, uh, you have comfortable chairs you're sitting in. Sometimes just take in the moment and thank God for the moment. And recognize that while not everything's easy, what does worry do? to solve that. Are you better off because you were worried and stressed? Are you healthier? Are you happier? Did it solve your problem? Say, you know what? I have this bill that's due. I'm going to spend the next two, two hours just worried sick about it. And then I won't have to pay the bill anymore. It's like, if it worked like that, fine, go ahead and worry. But it doesn't work like that. Worry doesn't actually solve the problems. Uh, And and so worry is not something that is conducive to any good. That's why Jesus says, for who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? You're actually going to probably remove a few. Uh, So don't spend your life responding to anxiety with that. Maybe simplify. Have fewer things so you'll be concerned with fewer things. Crave less wealth and you won't spend your life so worried about wealth. Uh, Do with less. And you'll find yourself satisfied with that, which is so much more. Um, You can continue reading. Jesus tells you, keep looking around. Verse 28. Why are you worried about your clothing? Observe the lilies, uh, how the lilies of the field grow. They don't toil, nor do they spin. And yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory uh, was clothed, uh, clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothed the grass of the field, which are alive today and tomorrow are thrown into the furnace— Will he not much more clothe you? That's kind of like, that's one way. If you're looking at the birds, you're thinking, yeah, but birds die too. Well, so does grass and so do the flowers. And yet even that brief life that they have 
is something God cared enough for them to give them food and to give them uh, clothing. For your life, he sees you as so much more valuable. It actually becomes a way to recognize how much more God cares for you than the rest of uh, the things that he's made. And so look at verse 31. He says, Do not worry then, saying, Well, what will we eat and what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek after these things, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. So the idea here isn't that those things are unimportant. It's that God already knows you need them, and worry won't get them to you. So instead, what you should do, don't seek and make your life about wealth. Don't make your life about the newest, best, and biggest thing. Don't fill your life with worry and anxiety about having all the best clothing and all of those things. You know what? That's, Jesus says that's what the Gentiles do. Throughout this sermon, he keeps comparing the way that his disciples are supposed to be different. If we are the light of the world and the city that's on the hill, we're going to be different. And he tells us, view the world differently. Don't view it like everyone else. Here's what I want you to seek. He says in verse 33 and 34, But seek first his kingdom. Now we're getting to his solution. Instead of seeking for all of these things, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. So then don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I love that final idea. It's like, you know what? I, 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 have, some, I have enough worries tomorrow when it gets here. I don't need to add them to the worries of today and then the worries of the week and then the worries of the month. That way I'm just going to accumulate all of my worries and put them on my shoulder and have them today and then have them again tomorrow and then have them like every day. It says, don't do that. Take in the moment. The moment's much more manageable. And worry less about those things. And in the moment, seek what truly matters. Seek first his kingdom. Seek first his righteousness. And then he says those words, and all these things will be added to you. So then that, again, if you're a cynical person, which sometimes it's hard not to be, you say, really? Really? No Christian's ever starved to death? No Christian's ever done without? Or do we then judge those people and say, well, maybe they weren't seeking first like I am, and that's why I have my wealth and they don't have theirs. And all of a sudden we can turn it, I think, in a rather dangerous way that I don't know that Jesus is calling us to do. I think on the one hand, yeah. I mean, through prayer and through seeking first his kingdom, you're probably going to be making decisions in life that will, that will help set you up a better in a, in a good number of ways. And so I think on the one hand, just at face value, Yes, I think that's true. But I also believe that this is one of those verses that becomes a challenge to us as well. Because if I'm seeking first the kingdom and his righteousness, that means I'm going to be also seeking the welfare of my neighbor and of the people around me. And so when I am a Christian— and I am a follower of Jesus, and I am a part of his community, and I am living into his kingdom— one of the benefits of that is a community of people around me who are doing the same, who have made the commitment to love one another more than we love money. And you know what I've seen this church do many times before? We have a food pantry. We do help feed people. I've seen us help people with their homes. I've seen us help people with clothing. I've seen all of those things happen here. Do you know why? 
Because that's part of being a disciple of Jesus. And that's one of the ways wherein these things are added to you. Because you end up becoming part of a community that loves you and that sacrifices for you. And if we're taking seriously the call to seek God and to serve God rather than serving wealth, it becomes a whole lot easier to take that wealth we have and serve God by helping one another. To love our neighbor as we love ourselves and to love God most of all. That's part of what this commission is. Now, I told you early on, remember that phrase, how do you store your treasure in heaven? And he tells you to do it. How do you do it? Well, we actually get a clue a little bit later on in the Gospel of Matthew. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 19. Rich young ruler comes up to Jesus desiring eternal life. And Jesus tells him something really difficult to do. Something you can only do if you've made the commitment not to serve wealth and to serve God instead. And this rich young ruler is torn, torn because he wants to serve his wealth still. In, uh, in uh, Jesus' call to him, in uh, Matthew chapter 19 and verse 21, notice what Jesus says. If you wish to be complete or whole or perfect, go and sell your possessions and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. How does Jesus tell him to have treasure in heaven? To sell what you have and give it to the poor. Here's here's what that means. It's really fascinating. It means that God is watching when we're generous with our money. God is watching when we are generous and kind and we share with others. And you might think, but if I do that, I'll lose all my wealth. And what Jesus is saying is, no, you won't. You'll multiply it. You'll be able to help this person And you'll still have it. It'll be stored for you in a much safer place than your bank account. It'll be stored for you in a much safer place than the stock market. It'll be stored for you in a much safer place than your wallet that a a thief might come after. God will store it for you. So you don't lose it. You actually store it with God in heaven and you give it to someone else. So what, what was one dollar now becomes two. You know, you've given it to someone else and God has stored it for you. And that's actually the picture of how I think we add these things to one another and how God adds these things to us through a community where God stores up our treasure in heaven as we share it with one another to help solve those daily needs and problems that we have. That's why we're called to be a community of radical generosity. But you cannot do it if you love your wealth more than God or if you love your wealth more than one another. If your wealth becomes the primary focus of your life and you would rather have a bigger barn than feed your brother who's struggling, then then the call of the kingdom has, has been lost on you. Jesus is calling us to be a different type of person. Jesus is calling us to have a different focus in the world. He's calling us to have a clear eye that sees a hungry brother as more important than a bigger bank account. When you get to the book of Acts, you get this picture of what it actually looks like when the community's doing this. It's a beautiful picture. Look with me at Acts chapter 4, and we'll close after reading this. Acts chapter 4, verses 32 through 35. This is what the kingdom looks like. When you have people who are serving God and loving one another more than serving wealth and storing up treasure on earth. It says in chapter 4 and verse 32, 
And the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and one soul, and not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own, but all things were the common property to them. And with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and abundant grace was upon them all because there wasn't a needy person among them. It wasn't because everyone, uh, you know, had, had on their own made a lot of money. The reason there was not a needy person among them was for all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet and they would distribute them as people had need. How did they solve the problem of need and starvation and poverty? Radical generosity. When he says, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, that's what it looks like. If you're seeking first wealth, this community will not exist. This will not happen. If you're seeking first the kingdom and his righteousness, then you'll be able to see how this generosity lifts everybody up a little bit more. And we become a kingdom on earth that does not have, I mean, compare that to every other kingdom that's ever been. There's always been people starving to death. We have enough among ourselves. We have enough. Like Christianity throughout the world and throughout world history has had the resources to help. Just sometimes we, we are tight-fisted and we claim them as our own and we cling to them. And what Jesus is calling us to do is open up our hand a little bit to look at our brothers and sisters who are in need and seek first the reign of God right here and right now, which will include helping someone who is starving, helping someone who has less. So that's the call of Jesus. And in so doing, not only will you help, but the worries that we so often feel about the wealth that we crave will suddenly begin to dissipate as we realize that life is about something a whole lot more than just a bank account and just uh, the dollar symbol and all of those things. Those things actually steal the peace that we could have. The less we need of those, the more peace we can have in what truly matters. If there's anyone here this morning who uh, would like to give your life to Christ, if there's anyone uh, watching online or here who would like the prayers or the help of this church, we would love to help you in any way that we can. And if you would like to talk to one of our elders who's in the back about becoming a Christian or asking for the prayers of the church, we would love to help. Please let that be known while we stand and as we sing.